Good morning, Kingdom Vineyard. My name is Sarah, and my family and I have been calling KVR home for over a year now. We moved here from the States last August, and after finishing my master's here in theology, I'm continuing my studies at the University of Aberdeen remotely while living in St. Andrews because we love life and we love KV. Our sermon series has been going through 1 Peter, a letter that Peter, a close friend and follower of Jesus, wrote to a community of believers, a church that was undergoing persecution that endangered their safety and their lives. Just as this community was disoriented by their unprecedented circumstances, we too stand in a time where we individually and communally have been disoriented and our lives turned upside down by a global pandemic and ever-shifting and evolving political landscapes which accompany it. The preachers of the past weeks have emphasized the themes of identity, exile, and living differently in a disorienting world, and we are going to continue exploring those themes. But first, Becky is going to read our passage for us in the NIV translation. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of a field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to those who believe, this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Becky. Here's a question for you. 
What is a mantra or a principle by which you have been living? And how has the pandemic and its resultant lockdowns impacted those principles and what you thought life would be like? Your work, your study, your community, your rhythms. Whether you are a fresher or a fourth year desiring one final good year with beloved friends. Whether you are a parent or a school teacher in charge of your littles and not so littles. Whether you were furloughed or managing a business that is fighting to stay alive. Your health, your retirement plans, vacations. We may be so done talking about the virus and dealing with it, but the reality right now is that it affects us. And not only does the pandemic confront our plans, it makes us confront what we thought was normal, reliable, trustworthy what we thought would be certain. Today's passage is an invitation to examine what we trust and what we obey as a result of that trust. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a musical that has taken over my household spontaneous singing and conversation. And that musical is Hamilton, an award-winning global sensation written by creative genius Lin-Manuel Miranda, a Puerto Rican-American. Lin-Manuel is a history buff and a lover of hip-hop. Hamilton is his creative retelling of the story of America, with the voices and persons of underrepresented people of color in an attempt to tell the story more fully and enjoyably at that. You don't need to know anything about hip-hop to enjoy the musical, and there are scenes that are breathtaking and solos that will make you weep. But if you do know about the history of hip-hop, you gain a special appreciation for how Lin-Manuel tells this story. Because every song is a tribute to a certain style of hip-hop, a certain artist's cadence and rhythm. An equivalent would be hearing any of Shakespeare's iconic words, and say, such as uh, to be or not to be, and knowing that play referenced Hamlet and his wrestling with a very complicated and complex life. In one song in particular in Hamilton, the new leaders are discussing laws for America's future. And you hear an electronic syncopated minor arpeggio floating in the background. It's a shout out, an homage paid to a song from the 90s called If I Ruled the World, where the artist Nas dreams about a world that is ruled justly. My husband Shin loves this. So what does this have to do with today's passage? Well, Peter actually references some key passages in the Old Testament, four of them, in fact, and he throws in some choice phrases that would have had the equivalent effect of quoting Shakespeare or that tune from Naz's song. When the writers of the New Testament quoted texts from the Hebrew Bible, they weren't just dropping that line alone. They were calling to mind the larger surrounding song or story, if we don't know what those passages were about, we can miss what Peter is doing and saying through those references. In 1 Peter 1.24, Peter is quoting Isaiah 46-8. All men, all humans, are like grass. Now, we can take that line and think that this is to emphasize the fleeting mortality of humans. But, if you take the larger context of Isaiah 42 account you realize that those lines are referring to a passage that talks about God's 
trustworthiness, and enduring strength in contrast to the fleeting nature of grass, flowers, and unreliable, corrupt human power. In striking contrast to short-living grass, Peter quotes Old Testament texts that talk about a rock three more times. This stone or cornerstone is referring to Jesus. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, a cornerstone is what was used as a reliable way of building up a house. If the right angles were good on that cornerstone, and if it was made of sturdy material, then the bricks laid alongside and on top of that cornerstone would produce a building that would endure the elements and last a long time. If you build a house with a faulty cornerstone, everything was off. In the book, The Good and Beautiful Life, writer James Bryan Smith shares about interning as a chaplain at a retirement center. And he befriends Ben, a supposedly difficult older man that just seems like a normal grandfather to him. They talk philosophy, politics, and one day Ben opens up saying, I was born in 1910, made my first million by 1935. By the age of 45, I was the richest man in my state. Politicians wanted to be my friend, and I lied, cheated, stole from whoever I could. My motto was simple, take all you can from whoever you can. I amassed wealth, and my 2,000 employees all looked up to me or were afraid of me. Money was really all I cared about. I had three wives, all of whom left me because of neglect or one of my many affairs that they found out about. I have one daughter who is now in her 40s, but she refuses to speak to me. I suppose you could say I've ruined my life because today I have nothing, really. A lot of money, but that brings me no joy. I cared about no one in my life, and now no one cares about me. You, young man are all I have. Wow. That story is an illustration of Isaiah 28, which is actually a powerful criticism of human rulers who have ruled unjustly over Jerusalem and made lies their refuge and falsehood their shelter. Leaders represented the people and they are being shown to trust a shelter of their own making, just as Ben did. If rulers put their trust in the wrong things, Everything is often unstable, and God here offers a different foundation, a trustworthy ruler, a cornerstone who has promised instead. And marvelously, Ben eventually reconciles with his daughter and lives a good life in his final years after saying yes to Jesus as, as his cornerstone. Now, in that book, Ben's story is contrasted with that of a famous basketball coach, John Wooden who won the respect and affection of every player under his tutelage. Coach Wooden, who was also a devout Christian, insisted that every player start with the basics of tying their shoes correctly and pulling up their socks. Why? To avoid blisters, which could take you out for a game. To avoid sprained ankles, which could take you out for a season. It was a beginning and simple cornerstone lesson that aligned with his loving coaching and care of each and every player. Ben built his house based on his own gain, and that house crumbled. Coach Wooden built his house based on care and love for the other, rooted in God's love and care for his children. 
The other two Old Testament quotes in our passage affirm that God is a better cornerstone, a better foundation and rock to trust in than broken human leaders or self-serving human power. And from these references, we're seeing the larger undertones of what Peter is doing and saying. He is not just saying to trust in Jesus. He's invoking Israel's history of wrestling with who they choose to trust in the valleys and hills of life. There's a key phrase that Peter uses twice, which brings this point home. And it's the words, holy priesthood, in chapters 2, verses 5 and 9. To our post-church ears, hearing the words holy priesthood or holiness can conjure up images of men with long beards and long robes, singing Gregorian chants or reciting things in Latin, and being judgmental, hypocritical, and frankly, irrelevant to the world. But that's not what Peter was talking about. And we should be careful to not miss his point. In Israel's story, when God rescues them from slavery in Egypt and brings Israel to their promised home, he calls them to be a priesthood, a kingdom of priests, a priesthood nation, a holy priesthood. It's not that everyone is going to be a literal priest in robes. It's that everyone is going to live in a way that tells their surrounding neighbors that God is good and that he is worth trusting. This way of living was to be demonstrated by remarkable love for their neighbor that was rooted in remarkable trust in God. And this way of living differently is not to exclude and say, well, I'm better than you. It's actually to say there's a different way to be, a different foundation to put your hope in. The Ten Commandments weren't about what you do in an old church building. Eight of them have to do with avoiding stealing, lying, murder, and keeping Sabbath so that those around could join in rest and trust that God would provide as they rested. Imagine. The commandments have everything to do with the basics of loving one's neighbor. As Caitlin preached last week, the people of God were set apart from others to show that they were for a specific person, God, and devoted to the good things that he cared about. Israel's story was about who they would trust, the gods and foundations their neighbors served, or the God who promised to be rest and sanctuary in all situations of life. Their holiness was not just for their own gain. It was to invite others to the same. In this passage about trusting in the rock that is Jesus, Peter contrasts two ways of living. He calls his readers to have sincere love for each other, to love one another deeply from the heart, and to avoid all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. These are trustworthy basics, fundamentals, in Peter's invitation for this community to be holy. Holiness is all about how we treat each other in light of our trust in God, because what comes out of us exposes what is in us. When Peter writes crave spiritual milk, he's not saying that milk is for babies. He's saying that milk is the best of foods and that little ones need that to grow strong and healthy. And likewise, we are invited to eat of the richest of foods, to continue tasting that the Lord is good. 
When I was getting ready for university many years ago, I was getting top marks at school, but I was being eaten up by anger and bitterness inside. As my family wrestled with difficulties financially and emotionally, and it showed up in how I treated my father and in the flippant choices I would make in dating. I didn't care about these guys I was dating. I just cared about numbing my pain and escaping from the things in my life. I might have gone to church on Sunday, but I was really a very poor representation of any goodness connected to God. I tasted a different way of being with Jesus, and this started a slow, persistent, and deep work of experiencing deeper and richer life with God, which affected how I treated others and how I forgave, how I chose to prioritize my time. Choosing Jesus and choosing to trust Him made me more loving of Him and others, and that somehow helped friends, neighbors, to say yes to Him too. I suppose I was living like a participant in a holy priesthood, but I still don't feel very holy. I know, though, that God is good, and I hope you get to know that He is good too. During COVID, what are you putting your trust in? For comfort, protection, joy in the strangest of times. If you are a Christian, how are you living differently from neighbors and friends that might not yet know Jesus? How are you loving each other, keeping harm from each other? This time of national and global crisis is not a time for the church to be put on hold. It's a time to live fully as a kingdom of priests, to beckon others to the good life, to love each other sacrificially, radically, across the boundaries of convenience, self-service, and self-protection. We can socially distance, wear masks, obey the regulations, and creatively figure out how to love our neighbors and friends. The COVID virus illustrates the human spiritual condition. We individually can be good, but the selfishness of others breaking rules affects us. We can do conversely what feels good for ourselves, but others will pay the cost. There is no escape. There's no escaping the effects of that spiritual disease, which is sin. That self-centered selfishness which would have all others pay the cost for our own gain, a selfishness which perpetuates brokenness, division, inequity, and breaks God's heart. The vaccine for that disease is Jesus, who takes on the conditions of brokenness and sin, and when he dies on a cross, he takes to death that virus and rises from the dead to offer us resurrection life. And the antibodies, the life-giving breath and booster shots needed so that we can thrive. One final reference must be noted. It's ironic that Peter keeps talking about the stone or the rock that is Jesus, because Jesus' nickname for Peter was the rock, the steady one Jesus would build his church through. But in that last quoted Old Testament passage, Peter mentions the rock that makes people fall, a stumbling block which is also what Jesus called Peter when Peter says, no, you can't die. You can't die on that cross. Peter wanted Jesus on Peter's terms. He wanted a human political leader that would overthrow an oppressive government. He didn't want a God who would love, serve, and die to help heal humanity. And he certainly didn't understand that resurrection stands on the other side. And Jesus said to him, no, 
your stumbling block. You want what will feel good for you in this moment, but I want what will help heal the world around you and you yourself. It's like Peter is saying, don't be like me when I didn't understand Jesus's way. Don't cling to the wrong things for your self-protection, comfort, and security. Follow Jesus. Let him be your protector, your comforter, and your strength. So, King Dominion, do we want Jesus on our own terms or his? Holiness is just a way of saying living differently. For the one who is the trustworthiest rock in all the storms, that's what holy priesthood would refer to. How Israel was meant to live differently compared to everyone around because of its radical loving of their neighbor and reliance on God for that way of life. What goes on in the inside affects how you live in your world, your halls of residence, your work, your home, and your neighborhood. We are facing a long season, and the call to being a holy people remains. That means loving the other radically, reaching out to those that might be isolated, newcomers, people of different age groups, whether that's through a computer screen or a window, those in quarantine, those whose culture and nationality might be different from ours. It's about living in a way that helps to protect the health of the other and not seeking our own gain alone or our own comfort and preference at the expense of others. When we are afraid, discouraged, fatigued and down, it's about asking God to help us, to fill us with hope, faith and love for him and for the other. May we be lights in the darkness that show a different way, a different way of being in a broken world. Let us pray. Jesus, help us to build our houses on the right stuff. Help us to choose you, trust you, and build trustworthy houses in which we invite others to taste and know that you are good. Some people here need to know that for the first time. Others of us need to taste of your goodness today because it's been a hard season. Would you come and bring your healing? Would you come and be our milk and our food? Would you show us how good and trustworthy your house is, no matter what is happening all around us? Amen. <laughs>